Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. <laughs> Monday, July 2nd, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric... <laughs> Matt Beckett, you're ruining it for everybody. I am a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. That is hilarious, Matthew. What? That you're a 16... You're giggling through your intro. Yes. 16-year Matt survivor. Beckett ruined this for everyone. My name is Lisa Bernhardt, and I'm a 17-year young adult breast cancer survivor. That's funny, too, huh? And we're your hosts for The Stupid Cancer Show. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because The Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. All right, on the heels of the Affordable Care Act being upheld, we're here to tell you cancer makes you broke. But how can you fix it? You better listen to tonight's show. Samantha Eisenstein Watson is joining us. She's a young adult survivor of Ewing sarcoma, and she is the founder of the SAM Fund. Megan Rogers, she's here, bereaved young adult cancer advocate, and she's president of the National Collegiate Cancer Foundation. And starting it all off in the survivor spotlight, Amelia Stevens, she is a young adult survivor of osteosarcoma, cancer resource specialist, American Cancer Society, and a volunteer at the SAM Fund of NorCal. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, also known as the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, online 24-7 at stupidcancer.org. We are not your father's cancer society, but we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So, welcome aboard another fun and exciting romp to the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on BTR, the Blog Talk Radio Network, and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous, wonderful studio in downtown Manhattan. And a final reminder that the Stupid Cancer Show has a live, interactive chat room during each and every show. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And with that, our self-ingratiation. Yes, welcome us. Matt we Beckett. Us. Matt Beckett. <laughs> I love that he got to you. He got to me. He's a giggly hey, boy. Hey, man, how are you? Hi, Matt Beckett. 
Matt Beckett is one of our interns. Uh, you may recognize him from his one week of celebrity on our Facebook wall as the most liked, shared, and uh, and and um, commented and sub- picture in our history. Subsequently poked. Yes. Uh oh. Until today. Well, wait a minute. Let's say why. Why? Why did he go viral? Why did the intern Matt Beckett because go viral? Because Matt Beckett got his all clear from his doctors, and he is now cancer free. Yes. MB, cancer free. Way to be. We, we like to call him Matt One around the office because, let's face it, he is the number one. He Matt. is the number one Matt. There was that great photo of him holding up the bottle of champagne, the Vogue Clicquot, which we cracked open tonight before the show stuff. Good in stuff. celebration. Of Matt the Man, I can't feel my pain anymore either, so it's working. (laughs) (laughs) And joining us back, Mr. Reverend Dr. James Manning, sir. Hello, Matt. What's up? How's veterinary school treating you? Veterinary school is well. (laughs) What? How are the farm animals? What? What's going on? We're just Uh, just starting. What happened? We're just making trouble. As usual. Yes. As usual. But the big news tonight, live in studio, is the return of our intern, uh, she was here last summer. We love our alumni network of alumni uh, interns. Oh, is that what it is? Yes. <laughs> alumni network of alumni. Yes, it is. And uh, please welcome back to the stage the lovely and talented Grace Derm- McDermott. Thank you. The stage. Yeah. Now she's extra mixed since she's back from Ireland. Now you have to show us a trick or something. Yes. A trick? I don't have any Can you, like, dance there. with potatoes or something? I, I can't. I can Dance with I can potatoes? She was I from Ireland. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, no tricks. Did you meet Michael well. Flatley? I, I don't know who Michael Flatley is. He's, He's the lord, lord of, of the, dan- the dance. Oh, no, but I've seen him on television. Yes. Yes. They, they don't actually dance like that in Ireland. <laughs> no, no, they don't? Too much drink. Okay. They kind of do in Scotland, though, that kind of yeah. step dancing, right? Yeah, well, they actually they do it in Ireland, but, I mean, right. you wouldn't see it, you know, you wouldn't see it out. You wouldn't, right, no. out and about. Well, it's well, kind well, of a hokey tourist American thing. Yeah, yeah. They think that we'll eat it up, and we have. And it's yeah, all in Branson, Missouri. Or Radio City. Yes, that's yeah. true. Right, yeah. right. So we like to track the, tra- the trajectory of our interns. What have you been doing since last summer besides Ireland what this drugs, semester? What drugs what are you drugs? addicted no to? No drugs. Yes. No, I have no drugs. Are you on Oxy? Oxy's good stuff no, these days. Okay. No. I, uh, I was in Ireland. I was traveling a little bit when I was over there, which was awesome because uh, it's so cheap to go within Europe, you know, so I got to go to some places for super cheap. Like I went to Greece, which is on on the way out, so I was glad to get there. <laughs> right. Okay. You yeah. went to all the failing economies, yes. so it was super cheap. It was wonderful. Yeah. So I nice. Was, I was ready to come home, though. I was missing... Uh, Did you Duncan study Donald. abroad while you were there? Yeah. I okay, was... you weren't just, like, wandering around no, the streets. No, no, okay. Yeah, I was in grad school, so I'm just in the middle of finishing my thesis. On what? Um, Pinterest, actually. Really? Wow. Yeah. So She gets to do a thesis on Pinterest. Yeah. It's, it's Did beautiful. you know that Pinterest went down because of the um, the leap second issue that happened last night? No. no. You know about the leap second? No. It's, it, instead of a leap year, it's a leap second. After X amount of years, an extra quarter of a second builds up every couple of years, and, and every four times that, whatever it right. is, I think they have to add a second to the calendar year. Okay. Uh. So the clocks stop at 12.59.59 for two seconds and then start again at, uh, at one. Fascinating. Yeah. And so, so what, how did it relate to up, Pinterest? It messed up all of the Amazon cloud servers in the world, <laughs> of which Pinterest shares oh, yeah. server sites. In- Instagram, yeah. Netflix, okay. Instagram, Pinterest, all went down. So you really? mean people, people couldn't watch shitty instant movies <laughs> right. for a couple of hours? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like the Y2K. It called it Y2K2. Yeah. 
Is that right? Yeah. Funny. I'm yeah. glad that you rebooted just so fine. So they literally Matt. shut down? They, they, yeah, they the computers didn't they... know how to account for an extra second in the universe. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. So what was your thesis on? What's the kind of... It's on... I'm looking at... I'm a tourism major, so I'm looking at Pinterest. What You're people, a tourism major? Yeah, Why did they have tourism, tourism when major. I was... A, I mean, what a, what a great major. Yeah, yeah I like major in the bio. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, bio, there's no way I would have... Tourism is good for me anyway, but wow. I, um, I'm looking at the images people are posting of Australia to see how grassroots organizations who don't have an in-house or, you know, they can't afford to pay a marketing company, how they could use it for market research. So... It's good. Like it's a lot of hours. Like to track behavior? Yeah, to track how like people perceive a certain area. This cultural anthropology. That's what this yeah, is. it's okay. similar to that. So. so just say you're a cultural anthropology <laughs> major. <laughs> it makes me sound... Yeah, you just sound more <laughs> important. Right. Yes, yes. Where are you so, in school here? Um, I was at, I'm, was at an Irish university. Oh, are yeah. you fully enrolled there? Yes, because graduate school abroad is about a third of the cost. Oh. So it was... And free health care. And free health care, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Lots of things. And yeah. beer. And, and beer. beer. And, and accents. Boys with accents. So, uh, boys with accents. Oh. <laughs> hey. Sexy boys with accents. Yes. Nice. Is it true that all the beer over there is warm? No. That's not, that never happens. I thought that, too, when I went. You I was, say, right on the I mic was, there. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. I thought that, too, when I went. I was expecting warm beer, and uh, that's not. It's cold beer. It's all like right. Now else. I can now go to Europe. Yes. Cold beer and yes. sexy boys with accents. Yes. yes. You're there, Matthew. That's yes. my kind of lifestyle. Yes. <laughs> so we, you're a disruptive woman. <laughs> that's right. I won, I won the Disruptive Man of the Year Award by the Disruptive Women and Healthcare People. So oh, thank you very much. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. What a cool award. Well, yeah, I figured if Colbert can be one of Maxim Magazine's uh, sexiest women alive, I can be a disruptive woman in healthcare. Well, that's coming next year, I'd say. You'll be on the list next year. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. It's the kids. They make Life me uber hot. Right. right. Yeah. Let's just finish the loop because we, we, we talked about Matt Beckett going viral, but we didn't actually finish the story as to what then went even more viral. Oh, this blew the doors out of the water. I yeah. got a tweet last night from somebody who I wrote to, and they didn't write back, so I don't know who they are. And I checked this for authenticity because it looks like it's Photoshop, but it really isn't. Of a five-and-a-half-year-old girl named Michelle. Is that her name? I didn't see the Melissa? Name. Hold, please. Okay. And she's holding up a Meredith. sign. Meredith. Meredith. She's holding up a sign that said that she had cancer, um, and she was uh, five and eight. Uh, well, how about I just read you this? Just read me the damn I thing. I am Meredith. I am five and a half years old. Today, March 20th, 2012, was my last day of chemotherapy. In September, I completed 28 days of radiation. I have had countless scans, x-rays, and blood tests. Goodbye, stupid cancer. I am a survivor. Now, that is epic enough in itself. She's very well-spoken. Yes. And she's holding up the sign that says that. So I posted it on our wall. And it, in in the four years we've been on Facebook, we've never really had, like, a viral hit. Kenny, what are the stats? All righty. As of 8.11 p.m. Eastern Standard on this lovely evening, there are 15,262 likes, 3,110 shares, 431 comments, and the picture has been viewed by Facebook, 132,000 people entirely. That's which, crazy. Which is anyone who has just glanced at this you picture. Know. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So, uh, so Meredith, good for you. Meredith is uh, an internet celebrity more than your children are. Pretty, pretty impressive. Yes. Pretty impressive. Well, we're going to talk about Obamacare with the folks on the show tonight, but very briefly, we want to pay tribute uh, to Nor Efron. Right. Who passed away this uh, week from uh, ovarian cancer, I no, believe? No, leukemia. Leukemia? Yes. Okay. Well, there AM, is, AML, I believe. There is no more fitting tribute to her than this. 
I'll have what she's having. <laughs> How many people do you think really would love to have a woman faking an orgasm as their eulogy after they've passed away? I would say Nora, Nora Ephron would probably be one of them. You know what I find interesting about her is that, you know, she told very, very, very few people that she had leukemia, and evidently she was diagnosed years ago, and... I just find it interesting for somebody who was very public about her life. You know, she's written about aging, menopause, her book, right. that book, I Feel Bad About My Neck. Um, you know, she certainly didn't write, I Feel Bad About My Leukemia. You know what I mean? I mean, she kept that. She only There were only a handful of people in her inner circle, even a lot of her closest friends, didn't know that she had the disease. Right. Um, just interesting for somebody who shared so much about her life and about, again, menopausal issues right. and things that she went through personally. But. Rest everybody, in peace. Yeah, everybody handles it a different way, and uh, she certainly contributed a lot. Yep. All right, well, let's get to our uh, our Survivor Spotlight here. Cue up the music. Amelia Stevens, a vocal music nerd, unique geek, and three-time Sam Fund grant recipient. Amelia is motivated by the impact of her health insurance company's bankruptcy one month into her cancer diagnosis. That's another she, knee slapper. <laughs> she is a young... She's the young adult advocate. Just the irony. The young adult advocate fighting to end the long-term physical and financial impact that cancer scars leave behind. Please join me in welcoming Amelia Stevens to the Stupid Cancer Show. Amelia. Hi, Amelia. Hey, guys. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm really stoked to have you on the show. We haven't done a show about um, uh, financial assistance in quite a while, and. You know, your story in and of itself is impressive, but the fact that you are a beneficiary of the much-needed financial assistance programs in this country is a testament to how screwed up we really are. So very true. So talk us through your, your diagnosis. How old were you? Where were you? What was going on? Are you living your life like a normal person? I was living my life like a mostly normal person. I was <laughs> 19, and I was in my first year of college, and I had not seen a doctor in probably 10 or 12 years because I was just very healthy. Um, and my legs started to hurt while I was off on a choir tour. So I came back, saw an urgent care doctor, and five days later I found myself at Stanford and celebrating my 19th birthday to start chemotherapy. That seemed like a fairly quick time between symptom and diagnosis, correct? Very, very quick. I was very, very lucky. I had an urgent care doctor who took one look at an x-ray and decided that he needed more information, had an MRI within two days, and he was on the phone to the top two specialists in the world by the time I walked back out of the MRI machine. I would say that's fairly atypical for a young adult to be diagnosed very, so exceedingly. Very, very, wow. Very, yeah, very atypical. So this, was, this osteosarcoma was actually in your leg, in the bone? It was. It was my left fibula. Your left fibula. Okay. Wow. And so, what then? What then was the, was your treatment? So I ended up doing six months of uh, chemotherapy, um, with the hope of shrinking the tumor before doing a radical resection of the bone. And then um, turns out that the chemotherapy did not shrink the tumor. Um, so we proceeded with the radical resection. And during surgery, they found out that the tumor had wrapped itself around the perineal nerve in my leg. So it ended up being uh, two-thirds removal of the bone plus two-thirds removal of the nerve. Um, But I got to keep my leg, which at that time in 1996 was very rare for osteosarcoma. 
so I was just left with a permanent foot drop, a permanent loss of the ability to wiggle my toes or pick up my foot. Feet are um, overrated. It's true. It's true. At the time, I did not think that. Um, at the time, I was studying to major in marine biology and live on a boat and um, probably need lots and lots of use of that leg, but this ended up sending me in a whole other direction. Was there something that they had to put in your leg as part of the bone replacement or no? Um, so what I found out was that we don't need our fibula bone. It's for oh, right. balance. Right. It's evidently completely overrated. You don't need your fibula bone. Um, and so a pioneered technique in the late 90s was to just take remove that bone and just not put anything back in because as you're still growing, it actually causes more problems to put something foreign back in than just leaving the bone removed. You know, I think uh, a woman named Amanda Freeman, who was our uh, intern here for the radio show for a while, actually, now that you mention it, had her fibula removed to replace, she had osteosarcoma in her jaw, and to replace some of the the bone in her jaw, they used the fibula for exactly that reason, in that you don't necessarily need a fibula. Exactly. Yes. So if we don't need it, why is it there? Well, should you get cancer in it, it's your extra bone. Uh, there I see. you go. I see. It's spare parts. In case you need it, yes. It's like a spare tire. <laughs> Very nice. We graft it, put it in somewhere else. So 19, you were under your parents' insurance? I was. I was. I was very fortunate because I was a full-time student. I was working full-time. I had just moved into my own apartment. You were a full-time and student and working full-time? Yes. Wow. Underachiever. Where were you working full-time? Uh, I had three different part-time jobs. Wow. That added up to a full-time job. When you live in paradise, you, you work lots of part-time jobs because nobody wants to give insurance or benefits. So when you work oh, in a I'm tourist sorry, community. What, yeah. Where yeah. again is paradise? Uh, I lived in San Luis Obispo, so on the central coast in California. Sure. Yep, absolutely. I've been there, in fact. Oh, have you now? Oh, yes, I have. I'll <laughs> be in paradise. Yes. That's right. All right, so talk us through the next couple of years then. Obviously, you were covered under your parents' insurance for a while, but there were still bills? I was covered under my parents' insurance um, during the first month of my treatment, um, but then we were informed that due to rising health care costs, they could no longer afford to be in the state of California, that they were declaring bankruptcy and pulling out of the state. So I became an uninsured adult with a pediatric diagnosis. Was there a class action suit by all of the other former customers of this company for just bailing on you? No, evidently. We looked into it, and it was legal. Wow. And they offer you no solutions. There were no partner companies coming to the rescue. Um, there were some options for exceptionally expensive policies and coverage, Um so I ended up being partially covered um, under another policy, but it was with a very high deductible right. and a very high share of cost. And Medi-Cal did nothing? Well, um, Medi-Cal, if you're an adult, has a list of diagnoses that you have to qualify, and my diagnosis was pediatric. Okay. So I wasn't on the adult list, and I was over 18, so I was not on the child list. Right, the beauty of being a young adult. Right, so you literally exactly. fell through the cracks then. Right, right. So I was being treated at a pediatric hospital, so most of the resources they were familiar with were pediatric. And then, um, I, but I was 19, I could legally sign things for myself and handle my own paperwork. Um, 
and my de- my disability was actually denied for the same reason. Wow. And I'm just curious, what did your parents do at this point? Because they lost their insurance as well, yes, obviously. Right, and although they ended up being able to find coverage again under the policy that I was partially covered under because they were able to not have pre-existing conditions because they'd always been healthy. Right, wow. So how did you then go about, tell us about getting your SAM fund grant three times. Or or even finding the SAM fund. Yeah. Well, so it, as as the years progressed and I worked my way through different jobs, I found myself working at the American Cancer Society, and while assisting patients with resources, I stumbled across the SAM fund. And for the first year or two, I looked at it, and I said, oh, that's not for me. There's other people who need that more than me. And then things got financially worse again, and I was looking at selling my car to pay my rent, and I looked at it again. I decided to go ahead and apply, um, and I ended up applying for a gym membership um, to help with getting active again um, because my insurance hadn't really covered physical therapy. So I would kind of had three or four physical therapy visits to get me from wheelchair to crutches, but I really hadn't had much more training than that. So let's, so back up before actually tell us about how then when you, when you lost the insurance, what was going on? You were working these jobs, but obviously you were being treated, so you must have had to stop working at some point. How were the bills getting paid? Or were they? They, 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 they were just being put aside? Did you have to just no, call? No, I just put... had a pile in the corner of my room, and sure. I just, yep. you know, we, we put two mortgages on the house. Um, oh. And, the I mean, the bonus of being 19 is I had nothing they could really take away from me. Right. I did not own a home. I did not own a car. So I didn't have any assets that could be seized. I wasn't working, so I didn't have any wages that could be garnished. Yeah. So it's, you know, so I paid what I could. I threw what I could at credit cards, um, and I'm actually paying off the last of that credit card debt this next month. So this year will be my first time debt-free since diagnosis. Only only 17 years, huh? Only 17 years. And now I get to go back to school and and start all over again. You know, Lisa and I were both diagnosed in 96 also. It was a special year. I was 95, technically. Well, I was 95, technically, too, but my surgery was 96. Yeah. And so many of the charities that exist now did not exist then. I mean, I just think the landscape for young adults is so much better now. Do you think that the, I mean, the the need for financial assistance, obviously unique to this country because of not universal health care, and we're going to talk about Obamacare and everything, but it's just such a grotesquely underserved understanding if you would like like people don't realize like 19 is like tragic to be you know preyed upon by creditors like this is ridiculous so what like so is the answer really just more nonprofits that give us financial assistance or or wh- where do you possibly see this having any future uh for this generation I think we need to work on better coverage to where we don't need nonprofits to bail us out because nonprofits that provide financial assistance, it's very difficult. You can't help everyone, and you want to help everyone. I but agree. You can, only give, yeah. you can only give away what you raise, and it would just be better for us to have a system where people need small amounts of assistance through pro assistance programs, through gyms that may just donate rehabilitation time or just needing a small amount of help at post-treatment with counseling or with um, just access to going back to school, maybe at tutoring. 
um, instead of needing something where you need all of your needs taken care of. I mean, that just that just does not seem like a way that we should be treating young adults. I had a question in the chat room for you. Did you ever consider, or your parents for that matter, consider filing for bankruptcy? I did file bankruptcy. Oh, you did? You did, wow. I did. I waited eight years because I was stubborn, and I really thought that I could get myself out of the hole myself. I'd been raised to pay my way, not take advantage of charity, and so I really thought that I could just I could just pay it off. I could just make all my minimum payments, and eventually it would go away. And it wasn't until I was kind of couch surfing between couches that I did look in. I got I did get a lawyer, um, and I did pursue bankruptcy. But I could only bankrupt on things that were non-medical. Every state's different, um, and I know bankruptcy laws have changed um, dramatically in the last 15 years, but at the time, all I could bankrupt on was my credit card bills. And being 19, I didn't have a large credit limit. So, I mean, looking back on it, if I had known better, I should have applied for a lot more credit cards, and I should have maxed them all out, and then I should have bankrupted on them. (laughs) But I, you know, I didn't know, so I was really trying to make my own arrangements, paying the hospitals the money I owed. Wow. Wow. So, update us now. So, it's, it's, uh, 17 years later, and you're you are at the American Cancer Society. I am. I have one full-time job now with right. benefits. Must be a nice switch uh, to have one I, job. It's a huge. It's a huge switch to realize that weekends and holidays are you know time for me to spend on things I want to pursue. Great. And, and I know a lot more about finance and credit cards and how to manage debt. All my friends are now buying houses and they're they're all stressing out about hundred thousand dollars of debt and I'm right. looking at I'm looking at them like, What are you talking about? That's right. no big deal. You That's just you just nothing. make payments on it. You're a pro. <laughs> so when you received um your 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 uh financial assistance from the SAM fund, what did you put in your application that it was gonna be used for and then what did you actually use it for? Uh, when you apply for a grant with the SAM fund, you do declare at the time you apply. You pick a category for assistance. You pick your first choice, second choice, third choice that you're looking for help with. Um, and I did choose to apply asking for help with a gym membership and uh, training because I felt like with my current employment situation, I did not need help paying for insurance. I was handling that, and I was making all my payments to my debt management plan and there wasn't really a clear way to even at this point show what was medical debt and what was other incurred debt. So asking for residual medical debt, I didn't really have a good way to ask for that. So I decided to ask for something that would continue to move me forward in being healthy, not missing work, and continuing to move forward towards uh, future goals. So I actually um, put in gym membership and training, and then you write several essays um, talking about your cancer experience and why that particular grant would help you to move forward. And for me, it was going to be rebuilding some of the strength I'd lost and also being able to um, move forward in doing, being more physically active, so potentially looking at going back to other careers that I had thought maybe I would not pursue with marine biology or just being able to walk through an airport to get from point A to point B without being exhausted. Wow. And you now are, so are you then, are you looking into going back? You said you were in school now as well or no? 
I will be this next year. Okay. Because so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and take out some student loans. Now that I know all about finance and, and financing debt, I plan to <laughs> I plan to jump right back in and take out some student loans and go back to school to get a master's in social work. Master's in social work. So no more marine biology. Probably only as a hobby now, just because I enjoy working with young adult patients so much, and I just feel like that's the one gift I can give back is counseling them on all the things that I wish someone had told me. Yeah, absolutely. So where are you? At, where are you working? Uh, what, which ACS chapter are you at? Um, we actually are officially nationwide, all one corporation now, oh. and and I am in California at our patient service office. Okay. So. Not too far from where you started. Right. It's only about three or four hours north from where I started, and I'm actually now very close to most of my treatment team, um, where before I was traveling three and four hours for treatments, and, and now I'm just a few miles away. And now you have health care? And now I have health care. Um, the health care I have does not cover long-term follow-up care, but at 15 years out, really what I need now is normal basic health care, a regular doctor, regular checkups when I don't feel well. Right. So they so you can still pretty much have have those visits covered then or how does that work? I I have Kaiser insurance now, so at I just have a copay when I see my doctor. My tests are covered, my blood work's covered. It's it's a whole different world to you know, the first time I went in for a treatment now and, and for checkups. Uh, my doctor said, oh, I want to order some blood work and I said, Well let let me see if I can afford that and she looked at me like I was crazy. Wow. Yeah. I thought I'd won the lottery. I went in for a CT scan, and they didn't ask for money, so I ran to my car before they forgot to <laughs> ask for my copay. So what's your life like these days, uh, post-16, 17 years out, follow-ups, uh, late effects? What's going on? Um, I do have some late effects because I did not tolerate my chemotherapy well. So I do deal with um, high cholesterol, hypertension, and um, I had high-dose decadron during treatment. Oh, wow. So I have a lot of weight issues, so I have to make sure I stay active, I eat the diet I'm supposed to eat, and that I do go to the doctor regularly for regular checkups, um, just yearly physicals, um, and just monitoring my blood work and the medications I'm on now. But, you know, really, it's at this point, it's I'm pretty much just like my coworkers, where I, I go to the gym after work, um, I cook healthy food at home. I hang out with my friends on the weekends. I work on my volunteer activities, and and I go to work full time. And so, I mean, my life's now much more like it was 15 years ago. And you, ba- so your diet? Are you basically trying to have a low cholesterol diet, or what else about your diet are you doing? I actually eat um, much more vegetarian, vegan, um, right. which actually was what I was. I, I eat the food now that I ate before I got sick. <laughs> You did. Yeah. That'll teach yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, my my parents are very happy. I I you know grow grow my vegetable garden and and I, right. I make my I make them proud. Great. Do they eat the same way? Yes, I was raised by hippies. Ah. Okay. So I could do some hippies. Yes. <laughs> so I was ra- I was raised that you only ate it if it came out of the garden. So wow. Now now right. I'm now I'm right back. Actually, so now I'm right back to where I started 15 years ago. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show tonight and share your story. This is such an under-discussed issue, and it's like probably the next to maybe fertility. It's it's something that really just can destroy your life uh, when you're diagnosed with something. There's no need for a 19-year-old 
to be hounded by creditors. But congratulations yeah. for sort of, you know, wrapping your arms around it, coming back strong, showing others the way, the path, figuring this all out, knowing, you know, getting a grasp of the whole financial situation, not only with your health, but with your education. Right. Really applaud you for that. Thank you. Well, uh, we'll see you. Uh, I'll see you hopefully soon, but you you're, you're now have to come to Vegas next year. I went this last year, and I actually, this year, I worried about what we're going to do about rooms because I think we have three rooms we have to get. Uh, three suites next door to each other. Now, actually, we have six or eight of us who are all going to share rooms this year. Oh, so. good. Wow. The more as soon, the merrier. As soon as, yeah, as soon as, as soon as we're waiting for the big announcement for the location and we're ready to book our rooms. Yep, we're going out there in two weeks to make our final uh, logistical decisions and big announcement soon to come. Wonderful. Amelia, thank you so much. Amelia yep, Stevens. Thank you. Thanks Amelia for Stevens. Us. She's very cool. She's great. No, she's fantastic. All right, let's hit up the news here real quick. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, during this part of the stupid cancer show, we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we do not want you missing out on. They're all free. They're all just for young adults. And if you want to hear something you've got going on spoken about during this part of the show, send an email to info at stupidcancer.com. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods. We don't want you missing out. What's going on, Kenny? All right. July 25th, we have a happy hour in northern New Jersey, followed by a happy hour in Denver, Colorado, the relaunch of our Colorado chapter in Denver on August 1st. Fantastic. How was the bowling in Seattle this weekend? I heard they had a great time. Fantastic. When don't you have fun with your stupid cancer bowling posse? You just don't. You always have fun. Exactly. All right. Join the mailing list for the 6th Annual OMG Cancer Summit in Las Vegas. Visit omg2013.org. Click in the upper right-hand corner. Enter your email address and receive the latest e-news updates on venue agenda registrations, Players Club, and other exciting information. The Stupid Cancer Forums have over 2,500 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com. Sign up with one click through Facebook. And hey, New York City Metro, save the day for the inaugural OMG Summit East. On September 15th at Peru College, right here in Manhattan, this special one-day event will be limited to the first 150 registrations. Check often to sign up for this event. Visit omgsummit.org slash NYC2012. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. All right. I'm really excited to have Megan back on the show. It's been a long time. All right. Well, why don't I introduce her then? Why don't you do that? Megan Rogers is the president and chairman of the National Collegiate Cancer Foundation, whose mission is to provide need-based financial support to young adult survivors who are pursuing higher education throughout their treatment and beyond. And Matthew. Please welcome. Megan Rogers. Megan Rogers. Thank you for joining us. Hello, everyone. Hey, Megan. Greetings from the uh, kind of war, war zone in the D.C. area. You know, I was talking uh, to Allie Ward today. She's telling me, like, Virginia, D.C., you guys got trampled, didn't you? Yeah, fortunately, uh, I had fled town to uh, to the beach and just, just arrived back, and thankfully I have power, but, uh, you know, it's it's nuts. Uh, I actually live right next to NIH, and was, you're pretty shocked to see that, you know, there's not working traffic lights right outside NIH and, you know, trees down everywhere, and so, yeah, it's uh, it's 
has not been a good scene here in the D.C. area. So. Wow. It's just it's been wicked storms, winds. What's the whole deal there? Apparently, there, there was some. There was some, It was like only an hour long storm, and I, I, it was some specific term. It was like I, I didn't even. I, I'm actually not even familiar with it, but it was just you know, really really high winds that unfortunately uh, uprooted a lot of trees and took down power lines. And you know, we're not. We're unfortunately uh, our Pepco service in D.C. is uh, is uh, often under much scrutiny as it was back. I guess a couple of years ago in Snowmageddon, so it's uh, it's slow, but you know, and it's also just tough because it's just so darn hot out there. So yeah, I just pulled it up. It's it's called a a, a tornurricane or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I was not here to I wasn't here to witness it though. So. Okay, good. And anything that does damage to the trees, you're really in big trouble. Right. Like the like yeah. Snowmageddon is, you know, as Megan said, when the trees got too heavy, anything that uproots the trees, then the power's out and everybody's screwed and yeah. people are getting some hurt people won't even get their uh, power back until I think Friday or Saturday so wow. it's pretty out- pretty outrageous to think in this in this day and age especially in the nation's capital that that would be the case but right. I am thankful to be uh, calling you from my air conditioned uh, offices so uh, I'm uh, I'm all set here awesome. at least I am <laughs> well I just checked we had you on the show in 2007 well, that's all the well way back before then. me very long time ago yes Wow. Very long time ago. Um, and, uh, of course, we, uh, I, we, I was friends with uh, Dan Wager. Why don't we talk a little bit about Dan? Sure. Um, well, my organization, uh, the National Collegiate Cancer Foundation, was actually founded by Dan Wager, and uh, he was diagnosed uh, with stage 4 lung cancer at the age of 22 uh, while in graduate school up in, uh, up in New York. And, you know, at the time, uh, didn't really know anybody with cancer, you know, had no family history, um, didn't, certainly didn't know anybody, you know, within his age group um, that had cancer. And obviously, you know, being being diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer as an athlete and a non-smoker, which essentially is kind of statistically impossible in his case, uh, you know, came as a big shock. And, you know, one of the things that he just wanted to do, as I'm sure, you know, you guys know from from dealing with so many young adult survivors, is just wanted to have a normal life. And for him, that was uh, finishing graduate school and actually being able to go to school while I was in treatment. So he actually uh, commuted down from uh, New York, from Staten Island, completed his treatments uh, in uh, at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, and uh, finished his graduate degree. And at the same time, when friends and family offered to raise money for him and to help him with his treatments, he looked around and realized, you know, as a, as, a, as a result of, you know, becoming a little bit more involved in the cancer community and reaching out, that there was a lot of young adults who simply didn't have insurance or, you know, the financial means to deal with cancer, let alone go to college. But everybody had the same dream, and that was, you know, you grow up, you want to get an education, you want to graduate, get married, and so... He took the money that uh, friends and family had offered to raise for him and turned it around and started the National Collegiate Cancer Foundation. And we are it's officially now in our sixth year. And just last week, we gave out our 75th uh, scholarship award to, uh, I guess we had, about, we had 14 people this year that we, uh, that we gave awards to. So although Dan is no longer with us, he passed in 2009. Um, we are still here and still running the organization and 
every year, uh, finding a way to do, you know, just a little bit more um, for such a deserving population. Really an amazing story, and uh, I remember him fondly. He was extraordinary. And, um, uh, you know, the, the whole theme of this show, of course, obviously, is that, you know, cancer does, in fact, make you broke, and that medical bankruptcy is mostly in young adults and mostly because of cancer, um, and that the system is really broken. You might have heard our our spotlight, Amelia, uh, talk about how the solution is to hopefully, possibly move to a system where we're not so dependent on nonprofits to bail us out. But, you know, what's your take on, you know, obviously you're giving more money away, there's more applications every year. Is it because more people are getting sick or more people are finding out about you? What's your thoughts on that? You know, I think, I mean, I would have to credit actually to, you know, to the whole, you know, to not just my organization, but also the efforts of your organization and the SAM Fund and the Allman Fund and, you know, this network that we've built um, that we can connect people to available resources. You know, I think, unfortunately, when it comes to direct financial assistance, there aren't that many organizations that are able to provide, you know, immediate financial aid or, you know, grants um, to people when they really need it. I mean, there's a few organizations, and not all of them are national organizations. And so I think for us, we have found, you know, traction by making sure that we are connected with, you know, our great peers within the young adult space, and then also just, you know, making sure that we're, you know, we're trying to contact cancer centers, social workers, just to let them know that, you know, there are resources out there uh, specifically for young adults, you know, uh, you know, not necessarily pediatric uh, survivors, but specifically for, um, you know, for this population. So I think it's, I think it's a collaborative effort, you know, the more that everyone the more that you know, we get when we get uh, inquiries for our organization, for example, unfortunately we only provide assistance to survivors themselves. But of course, if we are, you know, somebody is looking for, you know, um, assistance paying off medical bills, I notice send them to the stamp fund. If they're looking for, you know, perhaps assistance because their, their parent has been diagnosed, I can send them to the Omen Fund. So, you know, after you, after we've been around for a few years and we're we're more aware of the resources, we're able to to make sure that we're networking and that our name is out there alongside of all these other great organizations. Yeah, Megan, unfortunately, uh, you might be on a cell phone. We're having a little bit of trouble hearing you. Um, you're breaking up. I don't know if it's because you're you're on a cell phone there. But um, So the, to the degree that you could speak in as closely as possible would be great. Tell us about the application process, who can apply, and how they go about doing it. Sure. So our application is open to anyone, uh, any young adult survivor of a personal diagnosis, uh, between the ages of 18 and 35, and we run our application. Uh, our application cycle begins usually on in March of every year, and we finish in mid-June. In order to apply, folks just have to visit our website, which is uh, www.collegiatecancer.org, and uh, download the application. And I would say that unlike maybe some other typical kind of scholarship programs, we really look for uh, our applicants to tell us their story in their own words. So we're not necessarily looking for students with the highest of academic achievements or necessarily those that have, you know, extensive community service. We're really looking for students who, um, you know, can articulate the impact that cancer has had on their lives and the importance of 
uh, of obtaining an education uh, and fulfilling those goals. And we also ask for two recommendations, and one of those uh, is a peer recommendation. So we often have siblings or significant others um, write those applications. And every year we get, you know, we, we, we get so anywhere between 175 to 200 applications, which is, I would say, you know, on par with some of the other folks that I've talked to, especially for us, we're an all-volunteer organization. Um, and every, every applicant is given, uh, you know, is given equal weight, and the applications are read and scored. And, uh, you know, we hopefully just try to give out as much, uh, as many as we can each year. And we've been able to add at least one or two awards now every year for the past three years. So you get about, you said 175 to 200 applications, and you, and you give out about, what is it, a dozen or so scholarships a year? We give out about 15. Awards. So, 15. you know, okay. it's, it's usually around one in ten. Right. Um, you know, which is, you know, it's, it's always really hard having just gone through this whole process because you have to say, you know, unfortunately no to so many deserving, you know, young people. But, you know, that's kind of our motivation, if you will, to continue to, to continue on with this organization and just to continue to raise more money and just turn around and give it right back out. And the million-dollar question, so to speak, is how do you raise your money? Well, most of our... Um, most of our donors are actually still from our network of family and friends um, that were, you know, that knew Dan or now know me or uh, know friends and family that are aware of Dan's story. Um, we do our, we have one major fundraiser, which is a golf tournament every year, which is called the Wager Cup. And uh, we fortunately have been very fortunate to raise a lot of money through that. Uh, we also, you know, do dinner and a scholarship um, sort of update at that, at that event. And, of course, you know, we just solicit, you know, donations regularly throughout the year. But because we're an all-volunteer organization and we, we do, we have a, a wonderful network of donors, um, we are able to, you know, pretty much keep our overhead very low so that we give out about 97% of the money that we raise. That's extraordinary. Really fantastic. Do you have an alumni network? Like, do you, you uh, have events or... or um recognition of the, the folks who you've uh, given money to in the past and encourage them to, to be involved going forward? You know, we do. I mean, it's uh, like I said, uh, maybe our, our, our organization may be a little bit different uh, than some others because we don't have a full-time staff, and uh, we are a little bit spread out. But all of our uh, applicants and all of our winners are obviously acknowledged on our um, on our website every year and, and within, our, in a, within a write-up that we do. Uh, when we, you know, give out information um, to potential donors or, you know, if we're out in the community um, speaking at events. Uh, but, again, because we're a national organization, you know, it actually is a, it is a bit of a challenge to, uh, to, to, to remain connected for, um, for, some of our, for some of our winners. So, to be honest with you, we, if, if people are actually really looking for a, good, for, for, good, for a good network and a way to get connected, we usually... Um, direct them to I2I and Stupid Cancer. So we've actually uh, been able to hopefully connect a lot of people uh, to your organization that way. Right, and I, I appreciate that. I think the the reciprocal nature of the way our organizations work in the young adult world is extraordinary. Um, we all ascribe to the same charter, know what you're going to wear of great resources that can help them. And, uh, you know, obviously I mentioned this in the, uh, in, the, in the earlier in the monologue, but, you know, cancer shouldn't make you broke. It's not your fault. You did nothing wrong. And you know, our Amelia, again, she, she was getting 
sued and chased by creditors. She was 19. It's just ridiculous. Yep. But I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show. What you guys do is My so pleasure. important. It, it can't be stated enough, the imperative that this generation deserves better, and cancer is no reason to go broke. So thank you for doing what you're doing. I look forward to seeing you soon. Hopefully we'll have you guys uh, as an exhibitor um, or maybe a speaker in Vegas next year. Yeah, that would be great. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much. Megan thank Rogers, everybody. So Megan Rogers. Thank you. National Collegiate Cancer Foundation. Yes, the National Collegiate Cancer Foundation. We put the name in the chat room. That's right. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. I'm not in the chat room because I don't have the latest. I'm on a new laptop here, and I don't have the latest. Adobe who You are a terrible human being. Sorry. You have to leave the room now. Anyway. Bye-bye. All right. Oh, I'll stick around. All right. I'm super thrilled to introduce our next and final guest tonight because she is one of my BFFs in the young adult cancer space. I've known her for God knows how long. We became parents around the same time. Uh, My wife and I, it was just a great relationship, great friendship. All right, Samantha Eisenstein Watson is a two-time young adult cancer survivor diagnosed with both Ewing sarcoma in December of 99 and subsequently with secondary myodysplastic syndrome in April of 2011. She co-founded the SAM Fund in 2003 after recognizing a void in programs and services tailored specifically for young adult cancer survivors after treatment. She is proud to be an active member of the cancer community, specifically the young adult cancer movement. And for all young adults affected by cancer throughout the country, please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, my friend, Samantha Eisenstein Watson. Sam. Yes. Sam of the Sam Fund. And we can we've been hello. Now we, we've been talking about the Sam Fund the whole show. Now we can actually tell people who don't know what it is specifically. Absolutely. I love listening to Amelia. I swear that woman is one of our best spokespeople. Awesome. <laughs> if the MSW doesn't work out, I think PR could be her thing. Right. Um, <laughs> the SAM Fund, which, by the way, stands for Surviving and Moving Forward. There is an acronym behind the name. Um, <laughs> It's an organization that I started in 2003 when it became clear that, you know, there were some resources out there for people while they were in treatment. There were some for kids, some for adults, but really nothing that was focused on on young adults, and specifically none that were focused on young adults who were struggling to get back on their feet after treatment. When the bills pile up and the phones start ringing with bill collectors and, you know, you can't work because you're fatigued and you're almost too old to be on your parents' insurance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there was very little support available, and I was very lucky. I was, you know, like Amelia, I was on my parents' insurance. Um, most of my medical stuff was covered. I was super, super lucky, but I kept meeting all these people who just were struggling, and I felt like I needed to pay it forward. I needed to do something, um, you know, and do something good. And so I was lucky to have a good network of support around me to help me start this, and it exploded because, you know, to this day, the SAM Fund is the only organization that provides the type of assistance we do to as broad an audience as we do. And, you know, we don't care what the specific diagnosis was. We don't care where in the country you live. If you're between 17 and 35 and you're done with treatment, you're eligible to apply. And so our grants program really took off way more quickly than I was anticipating. Um, (laughs) But we've been really lucky. We've given out close to three-quarters of a million dollars since 2005, and we're getting ready to do it all over again in a couple months. Right, you're launching when? Very soon. 
Uh, we launched actually. We have one week to go in our in our 2012 application cycle. The okay. application was posted about four and a half weeks ago, and will be on our website, which is www.thesamfund.org. It'll be up until Monday, July 9th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it's a two-part application process. So this is just part one. So for those who may be listening and thinking, "Oh no, <laughs> I only have a week to go," literally, part one takes maybe an hour to fill out. So there's still plenty of time between now and next Monday to, to submit an application. So we had, uh, as you said earlier, we had Amelia talk about how she got her gym membership covered by you guys. But just looking at your website, we should make clear to people, I'm reading, just read a sentence off here, you provide grants uh, that cover a wide range of post-treatment financial needs, such as but not limited to rent and utilities, car and health insurance premiums, graduate tuition, vocational training, student loan repayment, current and residual medical bills, family building expenses, gym membership, as we mentioned, and transportation costs. So nice. Yeah. Kind of a, a broad range of uh, stuff you can have get a lot of help from from you guys. But no hookers, damn it. <laughs> no, you know, we got to draw the line somewhere, Matt. <laughs> well, that's why we go to Vegas, so. No magic mics. <laughs> no magic mics. <laughs> Not from exactly. the same buzz. You know, we really try to focus on those things that nobody else is finding, and I'm so glad to be on the same show as Megan because it, I think it really goes to show that we're all different pieces of the same puzzle. You know, we're all trying to help young adults recover um, financially from cancer and, and enable them to do whatever it is they set out to do, whether it's go back to school, live independently, pay off the medical bills, whatever. And so at the SAM Fund, we reevaluate our grants program a lot. Um, we try and keep a careful eye on what other organizations are doing so that we're not reinventing the wheel. You know, we want to be right. able to spread all the support as far as we can. Um, and so actually about three years ago now, we stopped awarding uh, scholarships for undergrad tuition because there are organizations like National Collegiate Cancer and Allman and the others that provide that kind of assistance. We figured, okay, we, you know, can refer people out to those organizations and really focus our resources on the things that nobody else is covering. So the bulk of what we've provided assistance for, especially in the last couple of years, um, has been very basic needs, you know, living expenses, rent and mortgage so people don't get booted out of their homes, um, you know, daily health and wellness stuff, like Amelia said, gym memberships, yoga memberships, the things that are so critical to people's ability um, to thrive and to keep moving forward, but that no one can afford. You know, when you're struggling to put food on the table, you're struggling to pay your rent, the last thing you're going to be able to do is come up with 500 or or $1,000 for a gym membership. Um, so we tend to cover a lot of the things that, you know, aren't necessarily huge um, in terms of what they cost but can have a really tremendous impact. And then, you know, we also, again, focus on those basic needs like food and utilities and transportation costs and living expenses and things like that. You know, Sam, I, I I had to look back in my email. I really wanted to make sure I, I got this right. I first met you in 2004. Yes, we and were both brand new to this. Yes, we were both brand new to this, and I wasn't even doing advocacy. I was just playing the piano, you know, doing my thing. <laughs> and uh, you were one of the very first people I met in the young adult cancer world. And, and you know, running a nonprofit now, but looking in, in hindsight to the organizations that help give birth, to all the momentum that that exists today, to see how far your organization has come from how many applications did you have in the first year, and then I remember I was a judge for two years, and uh, now you're doing how many? What, what, what's the, been the quantity increase? <laughs> Wait, I laugh because um, Michelle and I shake <laughs> when we think of the numbers. Sometimes it's really it's amazing and it's overwhelming and it's exciting and all these other things at the same time. In 2005, which was the first year. 
when we awarded grants, we had 35 applications and 18 recipients. This year, um, we are anticipating over 700 applications. We actually, with a week to go, have already gotten close to 400 and historically always get um, the bulk of the applications in the few days leading up to the deadline. So a lot more than we used to is the short answer to your question. So how many grants are you anticipating giving out this year? You know, it really depends. Um, first of all, as far and I don't want to be vague about this, I just want to explain why we don't know exactly yet. Um, our board will take a look at our financial statements as of June 30th, which was the end of our fiscal year, as well as for the first quarter when they determine how much we can give out. And then the number of grants actually really depends on how many applications we get and how many how, for how many applicants we feel we can make a meaningful difference. So, in other words, you know. We could start awarding 400 applications a year, but we would only be giving a tiny amount to everybody. And we're really committed at the SAM Fund, even though it's hard. And like Megan said, the worst part of what we do also is having to say no to people. So I don't like doing that, but I also don't like having to tell people who have $10,000 in medical debt that we can only give them $500. So, you know, last year, to put it in context, last year we gave out 92 grants totaling $135,000. And we had a great year this past year. We were really, really lucky. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to do at least that this year. Um, we may, you know, be able to give out more grants if the average grant is a little bit smaller or fewer grants if the average grant is a little bit bigger. But I would say probably we'll come in somewhere between 90 and 100 grants, um, totaling somewhere between 125 and $150,000. I mean, I can, Kenny can tell you firsthand of, all, of the majority, overwhelming majority of inquiries and phone calls to the organization. Why don't you go, Kenny? It's uh, it's 99 out of 100, where can I find financial aid, uh, you know, scholarships, anything of that nature. And, of course, you're the default answer to that. You're the easy answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. You know, we really do appreciate the referrals. We appreciate, you know, getting our name out there and you guys helping us let people know that we're here. And the worst thing is not having enough money for everyone who needs it. And truth be told, we're never going to have enough money for everyone who needs it um, because the need is growing. And, you know, you've alluded to health care reform a couple times, and hopefully, hopefully, we'll see what happens. But hopefully it's really going to make things a little bit easier in the long run for young adults. And until then, the need grows every single year. And so, you know, it's like Megan said, it's funny, I was listening to her talk and I just kept nodding my head because like Megan said, it's it's true for the SAM Fund too, that it is our motivation to keep raising as much as we can so that we can give out as much as we can. Um, but actually, because we can't possibly award grants to everyone who needs it, and yet there are still some of the same challenges across the board that young adults face, we launched a webinar series last year called Moving Forward with Your Financial Health um, because we realized that there's such there are so many threads that you know sort of tie together all of the stories that we hear. How do I get out from under medical debt? How am I going to find insurance? Um, how am I going to apply for a job? All those sort of practical, everyday financial concerns um, that are unique to young adults. And so we started this this webinar series last year in hopes that if we can't give direct financial assistance to everyone who needs it we can at least begin to provide the resources and the information for them to be able to go out and better their situations anyway. Um, you know, and so how many had, of those have we had so far? So far we've had about eight. 
over the last year and a half. Um, and it also enables us to partner with some pretty amazing organizations and professionals. Um, so we just did one. We did a two-part series on family building, um, one that focused on IVF and IUI and donor eggs and sperm and that kind of stuff, and then one that focused on private domestic adoption and foster care. We partnered with the CLRC um, with Joanna Morales on insurance options for young adult survivors, Um we partnered with Cancer and Careers for the Employment Challenges and Concerns webinar, and those recordings are also on our website, which is the samfund.org slash webinar. So for people who can't participate live, they can always access the recording for free. I couldn't help but notice you mentioned adoption. There's a part of our interview today that that is probably the most inspiring, one of the most inspiring stories of anyone I've ever met in this in this journey in the last uh, 10 years that I've been made aware that you could have a soapbox is that you know yes you were diagnosed with urinary sarcoma you you I remember meeting you you had like you walked with a cane for years you had mm-hmm. and you know and the very first time I saw you walking by yourself we had like this big song and dance routine we did but you you were left infertile I was and now you are a mom to the best kid in the world go ahead you can say it it's okay all right, so let talk us through the success story. I want the I want the world to know your 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 success story becoming a parent because cancer you have the right to be one regardless of cancer. You know, it's funny that's actually what we put out on Twitter and Facebook when we were doing this two-part webinar series which was basically that cancer survivors can be parents if they want to be. Period. And it's not easy and it's not cheap and it's not quick, but there are ways to do it. And I think for me and for my husband Adam um the biggest thing for us really was seeing the options in front of us and being able to choose because I think that one of the most frustrating things and the most one of the biggest things that left me feeling so powerless was feeling like I was supposed to follow a certain trajectory in terms of becoming a parent. So I was supposed to try and get pregnant and then when that failed I was supposed to try, you know, IVF and if that failed I was supposed to try any number of other things and then if all else fails I could try adoption. And I think that it's very disempowering um, to have it presented to you in that way because, for me, I needed to make informed decisions. I needed to make the choice that was best for me and my family, and I needed to make the choice that was right in my heart, regardless of what anyone thought I was supposed to want to do, you know, or should do or, you know, anything like that. And so I think, yes, we chose adoption. I am happy to share my story with anyone who's interested but I think that the important takeaway from, from my process that we went through um, was that we really took a step back and we really had to dig deep and think about whether we wanted to become parents, and the answer was yes. And so from there, we could really look at the different options that were available to us and make the choice that, that was right. And, you know, adoption might not have worked out. We might have, you know, run into some of the difficulties that people can run into, and we might have had to try a different way to do it but I needed to try it for myself, and I needed to choose it for myself. And I guess that's the message that I would give to any young adult cancer survivors who are having trouble building a family the good old-fashioned way, mm-hmm. which is to tune out what other people you know, tell you you should do to really take stock of what's important to you and whether it's important to you to carry a baby, whether it's important to you to have, you know, for the baby to have some um, genetic connection to at least somebody, um, you know, between you and your and your partner. Well, I think if, I think. Oh, I'm sorry to cut you out there. I was just going to say, cancer or no cancer. I mean, there are so many different ways to to make a family these days, whether you're a cancer survivor or not. So, 
I really uh, I really applaud you. Did you did you adopt domestically or overseas? We adopted domestically. Um, yeah. We had thought about adopting internationally, and truthfully, the process at the time when we were going through it was just so unpredictable, and in a lot of ways still is, but it seems to at least be evening out a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, it really was just two unpredictable countries were closing, countries were deciding that cancer survivors couldn't adopt. Um, I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff was happening a few years ago, and so we turned to domestic adoption because... I wanted to be a mom. I didn't want to wait eight years on some wait list in a foreign country that could decide at any given moment that I couldn't adopt anymore. Right. Um, we just we didn't want to do that, so we did. Uh, we adopted our son actually right here in Boston. Wow. Great. And he's the best kid ever. <laughs> How old is he now? <laughs> he's two and a half. Actually, he'll be two and a half soon. But if you ask him, um, he will tell you he's two and a half. He's been saying right. that for a couple months. Yeah, he's two and a half. He's just a little older than my kids. My kids are like yep. two years and. Two months old or three months old, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. No, just a, I, we had to throw that in there. That's just a great little gravy button on top of your story and everything you're doing. It's really amazing. And I'm committing to you on the air. A, I'm getting you to Vegas whether you like it or not. <laughs> but you're coming to Vegas next year, and we're going to do a session on financial assistance, and you're going to help Allie Ward and I build it. Got to be there. All right. We need you there. I will do my best. I will do my and best. I promise so, you that. We should reiterate. And Adam's coming. I will let him know. (laughs) We should let everybody know. We reiterate. So the deadline is Monday, July 9th, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Is that right? For this this latest grant application deadline? Yes. And the reason I laugh because the reason why we go so far as to specify um, the hour and the time zone is that in previous years we have forgotten to do one or both of those things. And so we learn from our mistakes every year. Right. And. That something, I, someone comes in at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time right. and it gets exactly. overlooked. Or, yeah. I was at yes. an event and where somebody actually had a laptop out, and they were like, hold on, I'm submitting my Samfund grant. <laughs> I, I shit you not. Yeah, that's well, true. Well, you know, the thing is, for anyone that's listening who may want to submit an application, the application part one literally takes an hour, and we give over five and a half weeks to fill it out. And the reason is that, you know, things happen, you know, Storms come in and Internet goes down, which has happened every year. Family stuff comes up. Life stuff comes up. We get it. Um, So we ask people to start early because if any of those things should come up, you still have plenty of time to submit. And second to having to say no to people who need financial assistance that we can't provide, the worst thing we have to do is tell someone that they missed the deadline when they try and submit an hour past you know, 5 p.m. or even a couple minutes. I mean, unfortunately, we need to cut it off um, and – Someone's not going to be happy with us if they try it a minute later. So please, 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 if you're listening and you want to apply, go online right now and fill out your application or do it anytime before Monday at 5. All right. So closing thoughts on uh, the Affordable Care Act. (sighs) I hope it turns out as good as we hope it does. I think that the implications for young adult survivors are huge. Um, and the best case scenario is that things become more affordable. You know, cancer does not financially devastate young adults or anyone else for that matter um, anymore, and we need to focus our resources on a different type of program. Um, I think that there's a lot of promise. I think that what I saw on Facebook and on Twitter and through emails and blogs that we were reading the day that it passed there's such a tremendous amount of hope right now among especially young adults with a cancer history, and that's something we haven't seen, um, certainly since I started the SAM Fund and been aware of this movement. Um, I haven't seen that, so I hope that the, you know that it goes through and that 
everything sort of works out the way it seems like it could um, because I think that to give young adults who have gone through the experience of cancer, who have experienced the financial devastation and all of the other after effects that make it so hard, to give all of us a little bit of breathing room and a little bit of hope for the future is the best possible outcome. Amen. 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 Well, I, I hope to see you in Austin in November if you come out this year. Um, I think I'm the speaker this year, so um, fabulous. I think so. I have to confirm Excellent. this. So, but uh, I would love to see you, and and I, I hope to get up to Boston again sometime soon. It's been a while. It's a good city, especially in the summer when there are no college students here, and you can <laughs> right <laughs> find parking spots and get a seat on the tee. It's pretty awesome. Exactly. So come on up anytime. All right. Well, thank you, thank you so guys. much. This has been fantastic. I miss you, Sam. We'll see you soon. Likewise. Samantha, Thanks so much. Thank right. you so guys. much. Okay, bye. Samantha right. Eisenstein Watson from the Sam Fund, the SamFund.org. There we go. Hey, James, Matt, did you guys go broke from cancer? Or no, you guys were like teenagers, weren't you? No, Matt, you were 22. James, you were like 16? Four. You were four? Why four. did I think yeah. you were teenagers? James was broke when he I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I was broke. So no no debt from you guys? Oh, no debt, but, you know, it's expensive. Right. You're still paying bills. And, Grace, you didn't have cancer, but you're broken now anyway, right? Well, student loans. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Her wanderlust. Yeah. What about you, Elise? 29, yeah. living on your own? I was living on my own, and uh, my parents lived in the same town, so that was good. I was insured and was working full-time. But I worked with some great folks that were able to. They were very, very liberal in how they kind of massaged long-term disability and all that stuff. Right. Very, uh, you know, they they were very flexible. Let's say in terms of my all my my plans. Well, you didn't go broke like or go bankrupt or anything, right? I didn't go broke or bankrupt, fortunately. Um, no, I did not. I had stuff covered, and I had. Uh, you know, I think I was also fortunate to have parents who could pick up some of the slack that I couldn't carry on my own, had some family to help out with that. But um, it's tough. It's you know. Yeah, my dad's really... not in the chat room tonight, but I think we had to take out a home equity Is that right? line of credit yeah. to, to cover the expenses. And and it took, like, years of fighting with them yeah. to get, like, probably three-quarters of it paid back. Wow. But we had to lay it out. Yeah. To get paid back. Well, Matt, yeah. but when you and I, when we go get an MRI done now, that's not cheap. Even when insurance covers, there's still a lot left. Well, my copay is for an for an MRI is fifty bucks. Right. I want your insurance. <laughs> <laughs> it's my wife's insurance. So there you go. Yeah. But yeah. that's crazy. I think that's the biggest eye opener of everything I've had living abroad was was the fact that Americans in general, whether it's medical bills or student loans or mortgages or whatever. We live with debt like it's nothing right. and you go to other places and and people our age don't even know what a student loan is. Yeah. Right. And that's like jaw dropping to yeah. think that they don't have debt and they get to live debt free. Right. right. You know? It's yeah. unreal. Viva la France <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. Good show. I hope some I hope some folks listening got some good advice. No, but Kenny's, where they Kenny's right. Like literally, yeah. like ninety nine out of a hundred calls are like, I need money. Right. And our website for those out there, if you want a whole list of organizations, Kenny, go to money.stupidcancer.com. That's it. That's the site. All right, time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the. Uh, 
internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, put it in the books, number 231. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. Special thanks to Kenny Kane, Matt Beckett, James Manning, and the lovely returning champion, Grace McDermott. Our special guests tonight, Amelia Stevens, Megan Rogers, and Samantha Eisenstein-Watson. Join us next week, everybody, July 9th for Does Everyone Need a Therapist? Hmm. Let's find out about that from our good friend Julie Larson, cancer patient advocate and New York City psychotherapist. Katrina Radke, she's an Olympic-level swimmer and the author of Be Your Best Without the Stress. And in the spotlight, our good friend Emily Morrison, young adult brain tumor survivor. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great Fourth of July holiday. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. Good night, folks. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.